Today's episode is sponsored by Pocket Landship, coming to Kickstarter on March 26th. Command a diesel-powered landship in a battle to end the Steam Age forever in this solo and two-player cooperative dice allocation game. Pocket Landship started life as a nine-card nano game in a board game geek design contest where it won Best War Game and placed third overall. It finished second in the Board Game Geek One-Player Guilds Awards for Best Solitaire Print-and-Play Game of 2017. The published version of the game has grown to 39 cards, including more player and enemy cards for more choice and replayability, and the added dimensions of commander and advantage cards that help mitigate bad die rolls. The enemy AI is very simple to execute, but it is not single-minded. So if you're looking for a pocket-sized game that can be played in about 20 minutes, and you appreciate player choices, input randomness, and luck mitigation, check out Pocket Landship from WordForge Games on Kickstarter, March 26th. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about playtesting, but we're talking about how to be a good playtester, all the ins and outs of what it means when you sit down at somebody else's game to give them feedback, to give them you know, a player's perspective. And we're talking to Peter C. Hayward from Jellybean Games. Peter, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me again. It's a pleasure and an honor. Yeah, man, like your episode from before, we talked about co-op games and I've had a lot of really good reviews. People loved that episode. I personally have benefited a great deal. I've been working on a, a hidden information co-op game lately and I got to go back and listen to our episode a couple of times. So it's super helpful to me. And I know a lot of people have found some good use in it. And so appreciate that episode. I'm super excited for this one because I feel like this is going to be another really helpful, useful uh, episode with lots of information for basically everybody who's a gamer that, that play test games, but especially for game designers. Yeah, no, it's it's a really valuable skill set, both as a as a uh, useful person in the community and as a designer. Because once you know what a good playtester is, you can uh, you can kind of find them and, and continue to use them. But the better a playtester you are, the more people will playtest your game, and the better use you'll get out of good playtesters. Yeah, that's a great point. But before we get into that, give me your quick bio. Who are you? How'd you get into game design? All that good stuff. So I'm an Australian living in Canada, in Toronto. I moved up here because it is the I consider it the board game capital of North America. I started a company called Jellybean Games. We do kid-friendly games that grown-ups love. We've had some success with uh, Scuttle, Dracula's Feast, Village Pillage, Lady and the Tiger, a whole bunch of fun, small, bite-sized games that kids and adults can both enjoy. We're, we're trying to be basically the Pixar of board games, so games that you can give to your kids and let them run off and enjoy themselves. But if, you, if you're playing, you're having a good time as well. Awesome. I love that. The Pixar of board games. I think that's a really cool way to, way to look at it. It's a, it's a lofty goal, but we're going for it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right, let's get into the topic. Why is this important? Why is it important to know how to be a good playtester? So I've been listening. Uh, I mentioned this right before we started recording. I've been listening to your show a lot lately. And one of the things that you said that really resonated with me is that you make this show not for the glory, not for the Kickstarters, not for anything like that, but because you want to give back to the community. Like that's yeah. really important to you. So first and foremost for me, like if you are going to a lot of design nights and if you're a designer, you should be, or, you know, having a lot of play tests, 
then you should be playing other people's games. And if you're playing other people's games, that's time that they're spending that you're spending. So you should be ideally giving back as much as you can. So for, for me, it's really important just to be as useful to the community and to your local playtesters and to your friends and fellow designers as you possibly can. So that's that's the key thing for me, that it's just genuinely a good thing to do and makes all of board games better just by you by you learning it. Yeah, definitely. And I think the more we can be good playtesters, the more we can create more good playtesters. You know, it's one of those things. A lot of times somebody doesn't know how to do something until they see somebody else do it well. You know, whether you talk about sports or creativity or whatever it is, or just being a good human being. Sometimes you just need to see a good example. And so the more we can be that example, the more it's going to build momentum and create a better hobby for everybody. Yeah. Uh, the, the other thing too is if, if you're a good playtester, then people i th- i found anyway people are more likely to want to play your games because they yeah. go oh this guy you know this guy seems to know what he's talking about his games hopefully are also good and thus we'll uh, we'll, we'll check out be more likely to check out your games which is how you get that juicy juicy data <laughs> absolutely and that's just a basic human psychology thing right it's just reciprocity and, you know i do something nice to you you naturally want to do something nice for me and that's just kind of the way we are as humans so i feel like yeah. it just makes good business sense and just make good makes good human sense uh, and then the third reason, I guess, is that I, 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 I consider myself a very good playtester or good at giving notes, and that has, on several occasions now, turned into career opportunities for me. Awesome. Uh, I was at a, a, I was flown down to a convention in Florida because of this skill that I have. So I got, I got a free trip to a convention, and while I was there, I met some people who have offered me, you know, paying gigs. So I've, I've gotten quite a lot of work as a result of that. It's kind of snowballed because you know, work begets work where the fact that I'm good at giving notes and I'll do it freely. Like, you know, if, if you, if you see me to con and I have time, I will play your games and I will give you feedback until the cows come home. Um, and the fact that I'm good at it means that people who need good notes, you know, professionals will pay me to do that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And just like anything else in life, if you're good at it, people will pay for it. I have a meeting here in just a little while with a, a tax guy trying to figure out all the tax implications of, of Kickstarter and, you know, things happening. I want to make sure I do <laughs> that's, things that's right. That's a fun adventure. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. And I could easily go online for the next five hours and figure out maybe hopefully what to do and do it correctly and all that stuff. Or... I could pay a tax guy for an hour of his time and get all his di- you know ideas and information. And I, you know, he, he does this very well. And so I'm going to pay him to help me do it better. Right. As opposed yeah. to figuring out for myself. And so I feel like there's just a lot of benefits in this. Now let's get into expectations, right? So you sit down at the table, somebody else's game. What, like, tell me the, the front end, like before we even start playing, what should I be doing as a play tester to make sure everybody's expectations are on the same level? So the first thing I'll mention, and this is something that came up in my last appearance on this show, is let people know if it's a co-op. So many times I've sat down, excited to play a game. We've gotten halfway through the explanation and I've been like, oh, and by the way, this is a co-op. Like you're all on the same same side, you're all against the game. And I don't really enjoy that. So that that was a bit of a blow. So when you're setting expectations, what kind of game it is, what kind of tone it is, uh, really importantly, how long the game is, because there's a big difference between sitting down for a five minute dual game or a three hour Euro, you know, like yeah. you want to, you want to plan your evening, you want to plan your day, uh, knowing what you're getting into is super important. So this is, this is for both sides, both as a play tester, you got to learn the questions to ask. What kind of game is it? What kind of tone is it? How long is it going to take? Is it a co-op? Uh, what kind of feedback are you looking for? If, if I meet someone who is, you know, starting a Kickstarter in two days, that's going to shape the way I play the game. I'm not going to play it as if, you know, this is the first draft that they've ever made. I'm going to play it as if, okay, we're probably up to final polishing here. Like if there's a fatal flaw, I'll still mention that to them, but they're clearly at this point not looking for like, is there anything here? Because they know that there's something here they're about to launch it on Kickstarter. 
Yeah, I think the question of what are you looking for from this playtest is extraordinarily important because there's a big difference between playtesting a game and just playing a game. And if you're playtesting, that means you're looking for something. You're trying to figure out, you've got some hypothesis about your game, whether is it too long, is it too short, you know, is this part broken, is that strategy OP, whatever it is. There's something you should already have in mind as the designer, like you're looking for. And so I feel like it's really good as the, the playtester to just say, hey, what are you looking for? Are you looking for anything particular? Now, a designer didn't have to sell you. They can say, no, no, I just want to watch you play. That's fine. Yeah. But I feel like it's good to at least ask the question. You know, That way you can kind of be thinking about different things and different strategies uh, along the way. Uh, a big one for me, and this is something I learned from Sen Fung Lim, who's a Canadian designer, uh, is that for a play test, you don't have to play the full game. Yeah. <laughs> uh, unless they're specifically looking for an end condition, in which case you can do stuff like you know set it up as if you're halfway through a game. Unless you're specifically looking for that, Generally speaking, I can I can get an idea of what kind of feedback I want to give about two to five rounds through the game. And for some games, that's the entire thing. But for a lot of games, that is a quarter or a third or, or less than half of the game. Uh, and so one thing I try to establish before we start playing is like, look, do you need to play as start to finish? Because if the answer is yes, this is only going to be useful if we play start to finish, I'm probably less likely to play because I want to get as many games in as, on a night as I can. And like I said, most of the time I can give most useful feedback after a few rounds of the game. Yeah, for sure. And me personally, I love the 20 minute play test. Now, most of my games that I design are around an hour. That's my goal pretty much right now, game design in general, an hour or less. And so I love 20 minute play tests where if, even if it's just me and my wife or me and you know some of the kids at the school where I teach, we'll play for 20 minutes. And I say, all right, guys, thanks. That's, that's all I need to see. And I've had several people go, well, hold on. We... Like, can we keep going? We want to play some more. Like, always leave them wanting more. It's better to like go. All right, we're done, and then go. Oh, can we play another round? As opposed to you know them just can we really want. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so I think you know, kind of like Barry Sanders. You know, leave the NFL wanting, leave, leaving the the fans wanting more is much better than uh, yeah. the opposite of that for sure. Yeah, and so I try to establish that before we start, so they won't be offended. You know, halfway yeah. through, if I'm like, cool, I've seen everything I need to see. You know, they <laughs> right. know going in that we're not going to play a full game. Yeah, definitely. And that also prevents you from feeling bad as the tester if you have to leave early, right? If you say, right. hey, I've only got 30 minutes and you hit that, you hit minute 29, you're like, all right, this this is it. I got to go. Well, you've already communicated that. And so the designer can't be upset for you leaving halfway through or, you know, wherever point you are in the game. You've already communicated. I think communication is probably the biggest thing here at the, like the core. Communicate. Yeah. What are the expectations? What are you looking for? What is, what's the time? What's all these different things? Because that puts everybody on the same page. There's no curiosity. There's no gray area about what's going on. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about the rules explanation. Now, some designers are not great rules explainers. I'm not the best in the world. I've been doing it for a while now. Uh, it's, it's almost an art form in and of itself to explain a game, to teach a game. And so as a tester, what should I be doing? What should I be thinking? How should I be reacting during the rules explanation? So one of the key things that I ask as, as a tester is if, they, if they're halfway through the rules explanation or if they're substantially through and they haven't mentioned this, I'll always ask, what am I trying to do how do I win? What triggers the end game? Uh, I, there, there's a, I think it's a Reddit post, maybe. It's like an explanation of how to teach a game. And I think, I think it's amazing. It's, it's start with who you are, then what are you doing? How do you win? And then go through a turn. Like that's basically the four steps of a, of a really ideal rules explanation. And I mean, honestly, as, as, a, as a designer, I am terrible at teaching my own games until I've done it maybe five times. Yeah. So my local group know that if it's the first time they're playing one of my games, they are going to have to suffer through my nonsense explanation, especially if I've lost a piece. If I've lost a piece, I get enormously flustered and it just it, it, it turns into chaos. But uh, I always try to hit those points. You are a merchant of Venice. You are trying to impress the king. You win by having the most VP at the end of the game. 
And on a turn, you will, you know, pick up your worker, place it here. That's how the game works. So if they haven't covered any of those points, I try to, I try to coax them at that out of it. Like how, how does this end? And sometimes the answer is, I don't know. Like if it's a very early prototype, they might be like, look, I don't have an end condition right now. I just want to run a few rounds. That's totally fine. You know, it's not a, it's not a finished game. It's a prototype, you know, definitionally you're play testing a prototype. So if they don't have an answer to that, that's fine. But knowing that they don't have an answer is in itself useful. Uh, there was a local playtester who, after a while, had a rule that he was not allowed to bring a game to the table unless he had some kind of goal. Because he'd, he'd put down mechanics <laughs> and be like, okay, just 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 play. And I'd be like, yeah, but without knowing at all what I'm trying to do, I can't play. Right. Like, if, if you don't have any kind of victory condition, that's trouble. But you don't have to have everything locked in. And the other big thing is obviously pay attention. Like, during the rules explanation... Some people are not oral learners, you know, some people need to play it in order to know how it works, but at, le- at least try to listen. Like, you know, they're, they're going to, if they're me, they're going to stammer through it and they're going to forget key things and they're going to jump in halfway through. But the more that you do take in, the more useful you can be during the play test. So pay attention and prompt for the missing elements of a basic game explanation. Yeah, that's a great point. I think it's important because I know, I know personally, I have a tendency to forget certain aspects of my game because it is ingrained in my brain. Like, yeah. like the things, it's the curse of knowledge. Like I forget to tell everybody, all, you know, all the different rules because they're so not natural to me because I played the game so many times. So I think as a play tester, it's important to realize that, that more than likely the designer is going to forget to tell you something because they're too close to the game. Like, and it's, it's such a, a common, oh, obviously everybody knows this, even though they don't. And so ask questions. If you're not sure, always ask questions. Again, communication. Yeah, and just, just as bad as when you've, Play tested this so many times you forget which is the current rule set. I don't know if you've ever encountered this, but like <laughs> yeah. halfway through, you'll be like, wait, nope, sorry. Uh, you're not trying to impress the king. You're trying to kill the king. Uh, forget all that. Just flip it around. You know, it, it's, it's very common. Yeah, definitely. All right, let's talk about like specific strategies. Like if I'm play testing a game, should I try to break the game? Should I try to find the loopholes in the systems? Like what should I actively be doing once the game begins? So I, I guess the answer to this is, is uh, how nice a person you are. <laughs> um, personally, I unless they ask me to, because I've, I've got a bit of a reputation for this, unless they're like, hey, you want to break your game? Show it to Peter. You know, he, he will, <laughs> if there's a way to break it, he will try to find it for you. Unless someone says, hey, Peter, I want you to break this game. Don't try to break the game because most prototypes can be broken. Again, because they're prototypes, they're not finished games. Right. So unless that's specifically what they want, if you see a way to break it, and this is this is very common, if you see like, oh, look, if I just keep on mashing this get food button, no one else will have food, no one else can play, I will guaranteed win. Like you don't need to do it to communicate that to the designer, unless they're not there and you're doing a blind playtest, but none, none of this really applies to blind playtesting. You can just say to the designer, hey, I think if I just keep going here, no one else will get food. They might say, oh, really? Try it. In which case, yeah, go for it. You know, mash that button. But a lot of the time they'll be like, oh, yeah, you know, I didn't think of that. Uh, everyone just, for now, don't do that. And this is, this is probably going to be a recurring trend. Like, the thing about a playtest is that you are trying to help them make a better game. You're not trying to prove anything to them. You're not trying to, like, maliciously break the game. You're trying to help them. That's, that's, the, that's the role that you're playing as a playtester. You are trying to help them make a better game. And the best way you can do that is to accept that a lot of stuff is going to be vague. Like... Uh, guys, look, we don't have an end condition, so just play a few rounds pretending that it's going to end after 10 minutes. Uh, one, one of the Jelly Bean games is called Show and Tile. Um, it's designed by Isaac Shalev and Matt Loomis. And I met Isaac at Dreamation down in Jersey. He showed it to me when there was, there was no end trigger. There was no points. He pulled out a bunch of codenames cards and some tangrams. 
and said, try to make these words with these tangrams. I don't have a scoring system, but your goal is to make stuff that people can guess and to guess. Like, we'll fix all that later. <laughs> if, if, if you've ever worked in film, we'll fix it in post, essentially, is what he said. Yeah. Uh, but for now, just just try to do this. And similarly, like, if there's some kind of exploit in the game, the designer might say, look, just pretend you can't do that. I'll work out why you can't do that later. Yeah, definitely. Now, should I try certain strategies? Should I just play it in, like, normal like what would be your advice on is like how i'm going to play this game if i'm not trying to break it just in general yeah absolutely so i i play as if i was actually playing and i play as you'd imagine a lot of games and i like to win uh this, this is the key thing in in games this is maybe why i don't like co-ops so much i like to beat the other players and co-ops don't really allow me to do that and so i play to win and again if, if the designer says look stop hitting that button that's broken obviously that's broken i'll do that but otherwise, if I see a path to victory, I'm going to try to pursue that path. If it's obviously broken, I'll point it out. Otherwise, I'm going to be like, look, I like to play... Uh, my favorite thing in a game is to trick people. I like playing negotiation games and, and deduction games because I like to trick other people. So if there's an opportunity to trick someone in the game, I'm going to take it. Yeah. And this is where being self-aware is useful. Like I know that I like to trick people. So when I'm giving feedback, which we'll talk about later, I like to emphasize, like, look, I had a good time because I like to trick people and your game allows people to trick people. Uh, take that into account. When I say like, this is amazing, I am particularly <laughs> a fan of tricking people. This game allowed me to do that. That's not necessarily say everyone will enjoy that. So yeah, I, I like to play as if I was actually playing, the, you know, as if it was a published game and I was playing it. Uh, the exception is obviously if the designer says, hey, I want you to play really aggressively. I want you to play really like you're tricking people. I want you to play as if, I don't know, your, your girlfriend's on the side of the table and you want her to win. If, if the designer directs you to play a certain way, play that way. Again, you're here to help them. Otherwise, play as if you're actually playing. Yeah, definitely. And this is a, a place, as a designer, I've found a lot of uh, value. So I've got a, a, a playtest group that typically comes over on Sunday nights and they playtest one of my games and I feed them dinner and give them dessert and we hang out. And one thing I've found, I've been able to kind of understand the different kinds of players that these these people are, these men and women are. And so anytime I'm trying to figure out, okay, is this, you know, like I've got a, the space game that's asymmetrical abilities and, you know, different races and factions and stuff. And so if I've got one that I feel like maybe it's a little bit overpowered, I'll give that one to the guy that I know has to win at all costs. Yeah. And I want to see if if it's overpowered, like does he win by way too much or does he not come anywhere close to winning? So it's not overpowered, it's actually underpowered, but it kind of gives me a good gauge because I know how he plays the game. And so that can be really helpful as a designer to, to know your playtesters and what kind of players that they are. And so I think yeah. playing the game as you normally would can be helpful for a lot of different reasons. Similarly, I personally find that unless you need the designer for a play account, like I played a game the other day because I really wanted to run it at eight and we had seven people. So I had to jump in in order to run it at eight. Unless you need the designer, it's better if they don't play. And this yeah. is this is something that some people disagree with. I know, I think it was uh, Bruno Fatuti wrote something I read the other day about how he thinks the designer should always play because you don't get as valuable feedback from watching people play. You need to experience it. Personally, I think, especially for a newer game, if the designer is not playing, it's going to be a more realistic experience because if the designer is playing, everyone subconsciously or consciously is going to watch them and be like, oh, how are they playing? You know, yeah. should I be that they're constantly getting food? Maybe I should be constantly getting food. And just by nature of, you know, them being an authority on the game, definitionally they made it, right. that tends to sway everyone else's behavior. So I, I like to play without, uh, without the designer if possible. And as a designer, I try not to play. But if you need them for the numbers or if the designer is really like, look, I want to see, I want to experience this, then it makes sense for them to jump in. Yeah, for sure. I know personally, all right, so this space game I've been working on, I've played it more than anybody else. 
Yeah. And I am really, really good at it. It's a dexterity game. I've gotten extraordinarily good at it. And so one thing I found is that I, I had to stop playing the game. I had to pull myself out and just find other people to play in my place because I won pretty much every single time we played <laughs> and it would screw up the numbers. It would screw up the data because like I wouldn't be able to tell, is this faction that I'm playing overpowered or am I just really good at the game? And so like no, I had to absolutely. start playing. Yeah. And so what I would have to start doing is, all right, if I won with this faction, okay, I'm not going to play that faction next time. I'm going to play all right, whichever faction was in last place last game. I'm going to play as, as them this game and see if I can win. Right. And that was my kind of self-balancing mode, but I've gotten to the point. It's like, I don't, I don't want to play. I love my game. I really enjoy it, but it's, it was screwing up the data, the information because of, of my style. And so it's another thing to think about. There's a great local designer. His name's Jess Fraser. He's played this game I'm talking about, uh, more than I have because I try to sit out as much as possible. So uh -huh. Jeff has played this the most. I've played this the second most. It's a negotiation game. We played the other day with eight players and I won and Jeff came a very close second and everyone else was way behind. And we kind of, <laughs> at the end of that, during feedback, we're kind of like, yeah, we need, we need to stop playing this. Like right. it's, it's, it's not useful until other people kind of, you know, it's a good thing when the better player wins, but it's not really useful for uh, the, the same amount of data, like you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Now, speaking of feedback and, and in the middle, should I, as a playtester, offer suggestions midway through the game? If I'm seeing something that's messed up or broken or, you know, ideas, should I make those suggestions halfway through? If possible, as a playtester, have a pen and paper or, you know, worst case scenario, have your phone. I find the phone's a little worse because the designer's going to look at you on your phone and think that you're, uh, you know, you've checked out. But right. I try to, whenever possible, have a pen and paper and jot down all my thoughts during the game rather than suggesting midway through. This, this is for a few reasons. One because it just disrupts the flow of the game. If you're like, hey, everyone, stop playing right now. I want to say that I think that, you know, cows are overpowered in this game. You're like, cool, great. This, this didn't need to happen now. That could just as easily happen at the end. Right. Uh, the other thing, too, is I've noticed a lot that the feedback you have halfway through, or, or particularly early in the game, will shift halfway through or shift towards the end. Like, you might look at the game and be like, well, look, obviously this strategy is broken. And then halfway through the game, be like, oh, no, I went all in on the strategy and now I don't have an engine. You know, I went VPs too hard. Maybe this is more balanced than I thought. Maybe five minutes into the game, I don't have the world's best feedback on what exactly is balanced. So I tend to write stuff down because I find my opinions changing a lot. Um, the, the exception would be, like I said, the exploits. If you're like, look, designer, if I just keep going here, I don't think anyone can stop me winning or look, this is like this particular thing, you know, every turn he's stealing all of my resources. This is not fun for me. Uh, unless it's really breaking the game in either the sense of fun or the sense of uh, just clearly broken. I, I, I suggest holding your feedback till the end and then giving it all, you know, during the, the feedback at the end. Yeah, I completely agree. One, like you're saying, it stretches the game play out. So now, you know, I was expecting a 30-minute play test, but now people keep stopping the game and offering all this feedback, and now the game turns into an hour because of so many stoppages. And that's just something to be aware of as a play tester. You're not trying to stretch the game out. Uh, and also, it's good to just assume that maybe the designer does know what they're doing. <laughs> like, maybe, maybe you know, this game of theirs is actually going to work by the end. And even though I think, you know, even though I'm ahead by 50 points right now because of the strategy, maybe it's going to balance out at the end yeah. because my engine isn't going to be able to sustain the full game. I think that's a really... And, and this is something, uh, I don't have any kind of links or, or sources for this, but I think this has been proven in other industries. If you think it's an amateur thing, you're more likely to be critical of it. So yeah. uh, I, I really wish I'd, I'd, I'd read an article about this a while back, but there's been cases where people have, you know, taken a, a, a Academy Award winning screenplay, given it to writers who didn't know that it was Academy Award winning screenplay. And they've been like, nope, this is garbage. No one will ever like this. <laughs> and I think we have a tendency to do that. If we know it's a prototype, if we know it's, it's you know, not a finished game, we're going to be more critical about things that maybe don't deserve that criticism. And I'm not saying like hold back your feedback. I'm just saying like 
it's very easy to you know two turns in be like look this game's broken it's never going to work when in fact you, you're just you might just be biased because it's a prototype yeah that's a great point it'd be kind of funny to do a similar thing and take like one of eric lang's prototypes of like i don't know blood rage or something like that you know and <laughs> and go out and just play it and just see what people say and then you could kind of get an interesting you know yeah uh, difference between how it Absolutely. actually turned and- out what you'll quite often find is that the designer will notice something broken because, you know, they, they this game lives in their head way more than it's ever going to live in yours. Like, even if it's get finished and it's your favorite game, it's still going to have existed in, in the designer's head more than yours. So often the designer, and I know I do this all the time, will change a rule mid-game. So to be a good playtester, I think you really have to be open to that. You have to be okay with the fact that, look, this is not a published game. This is a prototype. The strategy that you're taking might be so clearly broken that he's going to nerf it while you're playing and if you're not open to that i think you're not as good a, pro- a play tester so like uh, I, was, I was playing something the other day and i was trying i was trying a new system it was it was quite a complex system three turns in i was like look the system isn't working let's just say at the end of end of every round everyone gets one goal like it's it's a simpler it's going to accomplish the same thing and you know it'd be very easy for the players to be like what i, I built my whole strategy around this complex system but if everyone was just fine with it like okay cool like we can forget all that we just take one gold at the end of the round and the playtest was much more useful because we're not stuck in a broken system or an unfun system so yeah be open to the fact that the rules might change but don't try to be the one changing the rules mid-game there's as a designer in my local group he's, he's amazingly uh, amazingly talented his name's marrick um he's great uh and i i find myself all the time he'll pitch a game you know he'll be like hey guys we're gonna play this game Let, let's set up and i'll be like oh you should try it with this completely different system wait what am i doing no let's play your game as designed before we rewrite it so like i i am guilty of this myself but yeah play it as written don't try to change it if the designer does change it be open to it yeah i think as designers we have a hard time taking off the designer hat a lot oh, yeah. of times, you know, because <laughs> when we play games, we're we're thinking through the mechanic mechanisms and like how things systems are working together and like all these different things and what could happen, what you could do. And I have a tendency to offer that suggestion as well as like, hey, what if you did this or, you know, you could do this thing over here, even though it's not not at all the game that that person is trying to design. Yeah. You know, I'm like hijacking their game in a lot of ways. And I have to be yeah. careful not to let that come out. And I think every designer listening to this will know how irritating it is to be on the other end of that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, my game sure. Dracula's Feast is a is a deduction game. Basically, it's a logic puzzle masked inside a uh, masked. Ironically, um, everyone's wearing masks at the game. Masked inside a social deduction game. So it's logic. It's basically pure logic deduction. Yeah. And so many times I've finished a play test and people have been like. I think people should should role play. Like you should make this a role playing game. And I'm like, it, it's it's so far from a role playing game. Like this is nothing like a role playing game, uh, and it's it's just not helpful feedback. Like you should make your game that exists into a different game is is not good playtesting feedback. Yeah, definitely. I want to get more into feedback in just a second, but let's kind of wrap up while you're playing because feedback I feel like should come at the end. So let's kind of wrap up Absolutely. while we're playing. Is it okay just to stop? You know, when if you've seen enough, if you're not having fun anymore, if the game's, you know, if they said 30 minutes, you're in minute 45, like what should be the, the kind of proper way to say, hey, I'm done? So as a designer, I really encourage people to say at the start, look, we can stop anytime because if people are not enjoying the playtests, you don't want to force them to keep playing. This this yeah. is what I was saying earlier that Sen taught us uh, at, a, at an event here called Prototio. He's like, look, tell people at the start that they can stop at any time. Uh, if, if someone doesn't say that, I will try to ask at the start. If I forget to ask, which, you know, I, I play test a lot that happens, I will often end the play test. And I try not to, I try not to be rude about it or horrible, but like I was playing what was essentially a Cards Against Humanity clone. And 
the designer was like, cool, it goes for 10 rounds. And a round and a half in, I was like, I have seen 100% of this game. Like, I've seen everything. So I was like, look, I know you said this is 10 rounds, uh, but I, I feel like I've seen enough to give feedback. Oh, that's a really useful phrase. I've seen enough to give feedback because it just emphasizes that that's, that's what we're here for. Like, if they want people to play the game for fun, a design night is not the place to do it. You're here for feedback. Yeah. So if the playtesters have seen enough to give feedback, then they should be able to feedback. Um, I'll often use... Uh, I'd be happy to wrap up at the end of this round. I think we all get the idea, you know, just just something that checks with the table or or just expresses that you have seen enough to give feedback. And often people will jump in like, yeah, I think we've seen enough to give feedback. Maybe you'll get one or two people who are like, oh, look, I really want to do one more round or I really want to finish the game out. If people are desperately keen for it, uh, you it's it's okay to drop out. Like you're, you're not there. This is not your job. You know, you're there to be useful. If you feel like you've reached the maximum usefulness that you can, it's okay to stop. So I think it's completely fine to end a playtest, if you feel like you're done, that you, you've done everything you can be useful, or that you're not enjoying yourself, you know this is the, no no one's doing this for money. If, if you're doing this for money, it's a whole separate story. But if if you're doing this as a hobby, if you're doing this for fun, then it's okay to be like, look, I've seen enough. I think we're done, and give your feedback. I will do that with games that I like too. Like I'll be having a great time, but I'm like, look, this is going to go on for another hour, and I feel like I've hit the capacity of usefulness. So let's let's wrap it up here. I'll happily play this with again, but for this round, I've I've seen everything that I need to be like, look, here are the changes that oh, you know, here, here's the issues that I ran into. Here's here's the thoughts that I had while I was playing. Yeah, definitely. And let's just keep traveling down this whole feedback thing. All right. So the game ends, the game wraps up, and then the designer says, Okay, what did you guys think? Like maybe they don't go into specific questions. I feel like that's something we can also talk about just from the designer point of view and, and your ideas as far as like what questions should a designer ask? But let's say they don't do that. Let's just say they say, Hey guys. Did you have fun? What'd you think? What should, how, like, how should I respond? What's the best way to, to go about that? So I'll tell you that I am, as a designer, I'm, I'm a much better play tester than I am a, a play testee in a sense. Like I, I know that you're meant to have specific questions. I know that you're meant to have all this, but I almost always end by just saying like, what did you yeah. think? Like as open-ended a question as possible. And the reason for that is that I personally get most of the data from watching. And I think, I think you've had people on your show say this as well. Yeah. Uh, Eric Lang, I believe, said this. Um, I get probably 70 to 90% of what I need from a playtest just from watching people play. So my questions are appallingly open-ended. So if someone hits me with an open-ended question, um, I'm totally fine with that because I understand where they're coming from. Uh, if, if you have... So as a designer, one of the best things that you can hear is people discussing the strategy. If people are discussing the strategy, then you know that they were engaged with the mechanics, that they're engaged with what you're trying to do. And... Don't feel like you have to censor yourself as a playtester. Don't feel like if this was a real game, we would have talked about why you won or how you did what you did. Uh, but this is a playtest, so we can't do that. No, it's totally fine. Like, it's really valuable to, as a designer to hear people discussing strategy. So if you, at the end of the playtest, have strategy thoughts of like, ah, this has gone on for two more rounds. I was going to take this castle and I was going to move this wheat over here. Or like, I spent the whole game, you know, trying to build up my engine and I, I couldn't quite. How did you get your engine built up? That's so valuable. Like, freely do that you don't have to jump straight to notes you can talk about the game that you just played uh outside of that i i generally like i said i try to check in at the start i also try to check in right before feedback what kind of notes are you looking for what kind of feedback would be useful to you because if they're like me they might have gotten you know 90 percent of what they needed from watching so the talking is just that icing on on the on the top of the cake so uh, I know that I've said stuff like, look, I like from watching that, I saw that the end of round resolution was really boring. So we don't have to go into that. Like if you have specific thoughts, you're welcome to share them. But I understand that this faction was overpowered, that 
the issue you were having was that there was not enough wheat on the board. Like, I get that stuff. What other thoughts did you have? Like, that, that's quite a common thing. Or they might say, um, you know, just ask them. Ask them what they're looking for. And if they tell you, then try to focus on that. And that's not to say that your other stuff is is unhelpful, but anything that you uh, anything that they want is the most valuable thing you can give them almost definitionally. Yeah, for sure. If I remember correctly, when I interviewed Eric Lang and he was talking about this, I, th- I think he said he doesn't even care to ask people at the end of a game what they thought or any question. He doesn't, he doesn't care because he realizes that, like you're saying, the majority of what he's looking for happens during the game and he's got his notes about yeah. what people are doing during and that people have a tendency to not remember very well what happened over the last hour uh, and whether they <laughs> won or lost has a tendency to affect their opinions of the game and, and that kind of thing. And so it's just something also to keep in mind. Yeah. Um, I will often also find out what what they're going for. Like, as a designer, what is their goal? Because if they're making this game for their little sister and her five-year-old friends, then I'm going to offer very different feedback to if they're pitching a Blood Rage competitor. You know, they're just, they're completely different things. If they are designing, so I'll, I'll find out what they want as a designer. Uh, again, to, to reference Eric Ling, I think he says that there's three types of designers. There's rock stars, artists, and businessmen. What's the third one? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and and so like find out what what they want as a designer. If they want uh, to make a game for them and their mates to play, great. That's going to be completely different feedback to if they're trying to do this full time. If they're trying to have a hit game that they can boast about. If they're trying to, you know, there's a million reasons. Every designer has a different reason they want to be a designer. So find out what they're after as a designer. And also, if you can, and I'm not saying, you know, give them a 50-question interview before you start feedback. It's pretty easy to discern this kind of thing. Like, find out what they want with this project. If they're making this and it's launching on Kickstarter tomorrow, you might want to focus your feedback on, like, do you need all these components? Like, can you make it cheaper? Can you make it uh, in a way that won't bankrupt yourself when you take it to Kickstarter? Uh, There's there's a a design I've been playing lately. It's a racing game. And after the last playtest, I've played I've, this game's been around in our local group for, for six months now. After the last playtest, we were like, does every player need a unique deck? And after about 10 minutes of conversation, we realized that you could actually just have one deck for everyone. And it literally, like, I think it was something like 10% of the cards needed for this game, which as a, as a publisher is a huge difference. So uh, if, if they're getting ready, if they're getting the game ready to pitch, then your feedback's going to be different because you, you, you might know what publishers are looking for. And, you know, their their 17-hour game is just going to flop if you pitch it. So you can suggest how you could bring it down, how you could make it more marketable to publishers and how publishers could make it more marketable to the public. So, yeah, find out what they want as a designer. Find out what they want to do with this specific project. Yeah, definitely. Now, let's talk about the difference between subjective opinions and objective opinions and why it's good to know the difference. Absolutely. So... A lot of this stuff I know because I did it wrong for a long time. Uh, Back when I lived in Australia, I remember giving feedback on like, this is a bad mechanic. This is a bad game. And people, this may surprise you, Gabe, people weren't very receptive to that. (laughs) Oh, well, imagine that. (laughs) Yeah. So I I, I really, as much as possible, I try to avoid like facts because unless the game actually broke, it's very rare that you're going to have a subjective fact about, about the experience. So I try to talk from first person, you know, as a player, I felt like I didn't have an, enough agency. Uh, this this mechanism I found frustrating rather than this is a bad mechanism. I I worry that the market is not going to be receptive to a roll and move game. You know, you can always phrase your stuff. And this, this is a particularly hard thing for, uh, I think, men to learn. I think that we're very used to my, my statement of fact is a fact. But uh, I know that women have much 
uh, on average have, have generally high emotional intelligence and have worked out that expressing stuff as I feel, I think, I worry, you know, I statements is just so much easier to hear as a designer. Yeah, absolutely. And let's talk about like, maybe not debating with the designer or maybe not arguing with the designer. You know, maybe that's not the most helpful thing. Like what's your ideas on that? Yeah. So one of the reasons I think it's really important to use I statements is that even when you do, people will take them as attacks. Um, I remember one time I said, you know, my worry with this game, or I I feel like in this game, the first turn is the same as the last turn. And, And I think that's something you really want to avoid in the game. You want to make sure there's some kind of natural arc. And so I said, you know, in my experience, most published games have some kind of arc. They have like maybe a tableau that you're building. They just have something that changes from start to end. And the designer was not happy about that. He started arguing like, no, that is a provably wrong fact. No, no, no. And this this was uh, at the end of a fairly long con. We were both pretty tired. Uh, things got heated and it turned into a bit of a, a bit of a, a brouhaha. Um, and so since then, I've been very careful not to let myself get drawn in. Like if someone disagrees cool you know i am here to help them i don't think it's very useful generally speaking to argue with someone to have a massive loud shouting debate if you find that the person you're playtesting is very sensitive maybe maybe they're a fairly new designer maybe they just don't like the feedback that you're giving don't take that as a, as a sign that you need to you need to illustrate to them why they're wrong take that as a sign that you know continuing this conversation is not going to be helpful and you're trying to be helpful like that's what it all comes down to what can you do to be most helpful probably not getting into a shouting match yeah definitely don't take the feedback time as another game you're trying to win this is not a debate there's no points there's no trophy and and then similarly like even if it's not an argument yeah it's very easy to get to a long discussion about design philosophies right but if if you're at a if you're at a playtest night there's probably people waiting for playtesters this is not necessarily the time to have that you know go home and chat with them on facebook and i know that i do this i'll have hour-long conversations on Facebook about what makes an abstract game or like why is this game more widely reviled than that game. Don't do it while there's people waiting to talk or while there's people waiting to get their game out. Yeah, and I think as a playtester, it's also important to always realize that this is not your game. And so even if they're doing something or they they want to travel down a road that you know 100% beyond all shadow of a doubt, it's wrong. (laughs) It's okay because it's not your game. And if they want to do that, that's that's fine. I remember I was at an unpub, un, the unpub room at Origins a couple of years ago, and I was playtesting this game, and there were a couple other people there. And the game, it was just, it was one of the worst games I've ever played. It just was not good, right? And we got to the end, and I gave a little bit of feedback. I was like, well, you know, this is why I was feeling like I didn't know what was going on. Like, I didn't know what a good strategy would be. And then the person next to me was heated because she had had a terrible experience, and she was super upset. And so she just started grilling the designer about yeah. his design choices and all these things. And then it got to a point where she was just not satisfied with what he was saying. And so she said, well, show me the rule book. I want to see where this is written in the rule book that the game works this way. And I looked at her, and I was like, you realize like he made this game. Like The rule book's <laughs> in his head. I don't know what you're trying to accomplish here. But she wanted to see where it, like how it was written on the page. Like, Give me the rule book. I want to read yeah. it. And I was like, this is weird. <laughs> man like let it go it's okay like go do something else but anyways like just just let it go it's fine yeah it, it's, so I, i'm it's gonna okay. completely destroy my credibility here uh <laughs> i've said a few times i'm a good play tester i'm gonna completely disprove that in one short story you might think that you know 100 that this is not going to work oh, but fun. you don't it's actually impossible to know 
And to prove this, I'll tell you about the time that I playtested a game. It was it was designed uh, by someone I'd, I'd met once or twice, and the publisher showed it to me because you know he wanted to get my thoughts. So I played I played the beginner game. I played like the the shortest possible experience. At the end, I was like, okay, here's my page of notes. And I, I'm famously I go on a little bit too long because I just love giving feedback. I really enjoy it. And so I gave all of these notes. You know, here's here's I think a problem. Here's maybe a way you could deal with that. Here's a problem. Here's a problem. Here's a problem. At the end of it, the publisher was like, okay, Peter, like, I appreciate your time. Thanks for looking at that. Uh, I don't want to be rude, but I essentially disagree with everything you said. We're probably not going to make any of those changes. Like all the things that you presented as problems, I think are absolutely fine. And I you know, similarly, I was like, okay, okay, you do that. You know, I was a little bit smug. I was a bit like, <laughs> you do that. Uh, I'm, I'm prepared to never hear about this game again. Do you want to guess what the game was? I have no idea. Go ahead. Spirit Island. <laughs> well, that turned out okay. That's in the top 50 in BGG. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you will never know for sure that your notes are useful. Like, there's no point in arguing them because you could be wrong very easily. Uh, I suggested a lot of changes to Spirit Island that I'm very glad that they didn't take because that game is doing pretty well for itself. Yeah, absolutely. I've got a similar story, but this is kind of uh, slightly uh switched genre, you might say. Uh, my last semester at Auburn, uh, I was still working out and training. I had some tryouts for some different things like Canadian Football League and whatnot. And so I was on campus uh, one day and this new new guy came in and he we were a bunch of us were in the in the indoor facilities just running routes and throwing and catching and stuff like that. And this new guy came in and allegedly he was going to be a new quarterback that would, had made, you know, come onto the team. And I was like, okay, cool. And so he started throwing around with us as well with some of the other receivers and quarterbacks. And he, he was really bad. Like it was, yeah. he was real bad. Like everything was, was way spirit too Island bad. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was awful. <laughs> everything was like in the dirt or like way over our heads or like way too hard. It's like, dude, I'm five yards away. Like it was just not very good. And he's this really big dude. And I was like, there's no way he's like, can be mobile. There's no way he can run. Like, I don't think he's going to be very good overall. And I remember going home that day, just thinking, man, I don't, I don't think that guy's going to get much playing time. And the next season, he turned out to be a guy named Cam Newton, who won the Heisman Trophy, uh, oh, no. won a national championship, and was the very first pick in the NFL draft. Wow. He turned out okay. Yeah, you know? he did and okay. So, I, I mean, at, at, I, I, feel like I, should, uh, I feel like I should explain that I'm not actually that bad at my job. At the end of this, you know, the publisher said, <laughs> look, Peter, we're, we're not going to make those changes. And my response was like, I don't know co-ops. Your Sentinels of the Multiverse, you clearly know co-ops. Like, <laughs> yeah. if you disagree with me, I would take your feedback over mine any day of the week. Yeah, but uh, I, I was I was actually still very surprised. That was a humbling experience for me. I was very surprised when that game did okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's done fairly well. I, I think the most recent Kickstarter did uh, a few few hundred thousand oh, dollars here or there. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh man, it's crazy. All right, well let's uh, let's kind of keep on this whole feedback thing. Now, one technique is the whole sandwich approach, where you kind of sandwich feedback inside of other things. So, tell me about that. Yeah, absolutely. So, this is something that uh, I didn't appreciate as much until I started giving feedback. Like in personal life, people had told me a lot of this stuff. They told me always say, you know, I feel my thoughts, and I was like, ah, oh, but people know it's my thoughts. And then as I started giving more and more feedback, I got it. Similarly, I learned the sandwich method, which is start on a positive note, end on a positive note. And it wasn't until I'd started giving a lot of feedback that I really saw what a difference it made. If you can end a game, like always try to say something positive about it, whether it's, you know, and, and never lie. I'm not, I'm not saying make something up. I'm just saying like, there's always a positive experience you can have. And that can be as little as like, I like the UI, you know, try not to sound like you're <laughs> try not to sound like you're, you're complimenting something for the sake of it, but genuinely think like, what did you like about this game? Even something like, I see what you're going for here. I think it's a cool idea. Yeah. Having said that, 
these were my experiences, you know, feedback, 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 and feedback doesn't have to all be negative. Like start on a positive note, end on a positive note. If you have positive things throughout, that's arguably more useful than negative feedback in some ways. Like if you say to someone, look, I really liked the ability to have my own engine that's different to everyone else's engine. They might not be aware that it's the selling point of the game. I found this as a designer. People were like, man, this is my favorite thing. And I'm like, oh, that was, that was incidentally there to solve another problem. I didn't realize that was actually a positive experience. And then after you're, after you're, in my case, pages of feedback, end on something positive. Like, you know, cool. So that's what I think could be changed. But I think this has a lot of potential. I really enjoyed this. You know, start and end on a positive note. And that way people are going to listen to the middle of it. If you start negative and end negative, they're probably, even if it's subconscious, going to dismiss your feedback. They're not going to listen. And to, to be helpful, you want them to listen. Yeah, for sure. And you got to realize if you start negative, they're going to start defensive. And there's, there's no going back. Like, it's not like you can start negative yeah. and then get really positive at, at the end. And they're going to like, oh, okay, yeah, cool. No, they're going to be on the defensive from the beginning. And it's hard to get out of that just from a, a mental standpoint. All right. Do you have any other ideas, other thoughts, anything that we ha- haven't covered? Yeah. Uh, so one thing I try to do, and this is, this is a result. I've been designing games for more than half a decade now, however long. Uh, the feedback that you give, I try to tailor it to the skill level of the person I'm talking to. This is the first time they've ever, ever designed a game that feedback's going to be really different to if I'm talking to Isaac Shalev, who's, you know, been publishing games for a decade now and really knows what he's right. talking about. And so, for, for example, uh, Isaac has a game called Tour Bus Israel, and it, it, it was a great game. And at the end of it, you know, everyone gave their feedback and it's stuff like, this is unbalanced, this is blah, blah, blah. I With Isaac, I'm not going to worry about that. Like, he is a very skilled designer. He knows how to balance things. I don't have to tell him this is unbalanced. He probably observed that himself. So after everyone had given their feedback and people had to kind of move on to the next thing, I sat down with them. I was like, look, this is a great game, but thematically it's not working for me. We're all playing tourists going around Israel and yet we're playing an area control game. That doesn't actually make sense. Like this is pretty high level criticism. Like a lot of, a lot of playtesters wouldn't even be aware of that. They're presented with the game. They're going to review that game or, or give feedback on that game. Whereas I was like, look, as a publisher, I want this thematic integration at all the levels. And he was like, oh, well, you know, I hadn't thought of that. So that was really useful. Similarly, if, if I'm playing someone's first ever design, you know, they've played uh, Dominion for a year and they're like, I'm going to make a deck builder. I'm not going to be giving finicky like, oh, look, I worry about the potential marketability of this in a, in a market where blah, blah, blah. This is their first game. They just want to see if it's fun. That, that's a key thing that I think people miss. They give feedback at the wrong level. And that, that's something it, it's hard to do, but I think it's really important to be like, what would actually help this person right now give that feedback? For sure. Well, Peter, man, this has been awesome. I think it's been super helpful to people just trying to you know, figure out how do I become a better play tester? Do you have any closing thoughts, closing ideas? The best way to get better at anything is to do it a lot. Yep. If you want to be a better play tester, play test as much as you can. I go to a lot of cons every year and I just literally try to spend as much time as I can playing other people's games and getting my games played. Uh, my friends go off and play published games. and That's great. But you know, I can play published games at home. I want to get my head into prototypes. I play probably 10 times as many prototypes in a year as I do published games. Uh, partially because I love it, but partially because that's that's the area that I want to get better at. I want to I want to get better at giving feedback on it. Get get better at receiving feedback. Yeah, awesome. Well, hey man, you've got a game that recently funded on Kickstarter. I guess people can still get it in like the pledge manager and whatnot. Tell me about that. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Dracula's Feast New Blood. It's the game I mentioned earlier. It's a logical deduction game where you are all monsters at uh, Dracula's ball, trying to work out whoever it is so you can boot everyone out and basically eat all the villagers. <laughs> uh, we also have a game launching, uh, depending on when this goes up, it's either live now or going live in a week. It's called Jabberwocky. It is a collection of five games in a box, all using the same components. 
Very cool, man. Well, again, I really appreciate you coming on the show again. Appreciate your time. Appreciate all the, the wisdom and advice. Good luck with those games. Good luck with the Kickstarter and everything else you got going on right now. No worries. I, I, I'm an Australian with a blue beard. There's not many of us about. So if you ever see me to con, I'd be happy to play your games and, and give feedback, or I'd be happy to show you a game and get your feedback. Awesome. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?